The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Does it tame and tame and tame again? Break up the music! Charge a glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Hapless Russian goalkeepers, weedy but somehow still rock hard centre backs, bland UEFA approved playmakers, skulls of Manchester, European goal machines, and crucially, not a Zlatan in sight. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés and the pure Champions League 11. Right now, you can get 50% off an annual subscription to The Athletic. That's less than £1 a week. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash cliches pod and sign up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 57 of The Clichés Pod. With me, as part of my selection committee for the pure Champions League eleven. First of all, Charlie Eccleshare, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Very well, thank you. Alongside you, Jack Pitbrook. Are you excited? Yeah, I love the Champions League and I'm delighted to be back on the podcast. <laughs> Spoken like a true Champions League veteran, excellent. First of all, before we get into the nuts and bolts of our Champions League eleven, we have the adjudication panel this week. Listener David Marples wants a definitive answer on this, Charlie. He says, probably an impossible task, but would it be possible to tackle the phrase one of them, sometimes varied to one of those, and nail down what exactly is denoted? We all nod in appreciation when we hear it, despite its inherent vagueness. There are so many contexts, Charlie, in which a pundit will say, ah, oh, well, it's one of those, isn't it? What immediately pops into your head when you when you think of this phrase? I mean, it's kind of a relation of it is what it is, which is yes. similarly meaningless. But I think it's one of those... A penalty's been given, and commentator, is that a penalty? I mean, is, is there enough? It's one of those. You know, it, yeah, he goes down a bit easily, but there may have been... It, I think it's one of those, which to me means, yeah, it's not that obvious, but it's kind of seen him given, almost. Mm. So um, shorthand for, it's one of those situations that is traditionally quite hard to call. That's that's your first interpretation of the phrase. Jack, yeah. when you hear one of them, one of those, what are you thinking? It's basically something which is not quite one thing nor the other, but belongs oh, to a okay. category of its own. Mm. So it's not quite a it's not quite a stonewall penalty, but it's not not a penalty either. It's one of those. Or it's not quite a cross, it's not quite a shot, it's one of those. The other one, of course, is like a player with two and a bit years left in his contract, mm. deciding whether, you know, it's time to negotiate, but maybe now will be the time to cash in. So he's not definitely going to go, and he's not definitely going to stay either. It's one of those. Jack's onto something here, Charlie, because we're talking, we started off talking about sort of very um, uh, local, cool moments you know moments in a game Jax has taken a slightly bigger mm. picture approach here I'm thinking it's when Jeff Stelling asked Paul Merson about a certain situation that's going on he said well it's one of them Jeff it's, it's, it's one of them isn't it and it, I think it's like a player's contract situation or perhaps a player who's out of favour 
and has mm. to work his way back into the team. It's, it's one of them as a player, as a player, Jeff. It's, it's one, one of those. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a similar kind of hedge of uh, I don't quite know the answer to this, but it, it could sort of go either way. So it's, it's, it's one of them. It's one of those. I th- so I think we got to the spirit of this now, Jack. It is essentially something that could go either way, be it a tackle in a match or a contractual dispute. And Charlie was right at the very start of this. It's kind of a distant cousin of it is what it is. It's a set of words that basically sets out that the person saying it doesn't really know what they're talking about, but yet we will still be able to divulge some meaning from it. Yeah, its link with it is what it is, is that I think it's to do with it it not being like unambiguously either A nor B. It's Mm. not ambiguously black or white, but it is in this like widely accepted grey area. And, you know, football people understand the implications of it being in that grey area. Mm. That's what one of those is. And I think that's that really is what it is what it is is as well. (laughs) Let's not forget that the phrase also implies that the person who's saying it's one of them or it's one of those is also saying this is the sort of thing that has happened in the past. We should all be aware of it. We should all Mm. understand it. So there is an implied instruction there that we should all know what they're talking about anyway. So it isn't actually that non-committal after all. So David Marples, I hope you're satisfied with that. Um, it's very important that we got to the bottom of that because it's one of the cornerstones of the English footballing language. So uh, glad we got to investigate that in Oh, Adam, Adam, can I raise my uh, a thing I heard? And yes. I, I instantly thought of you as to whether it was uh, acceptable because I don't know if I've heard it before, but maybe you'll tell me it is. Obviously, we're, we're familiar with a huge slice of luck um, you know, mm. luck is measured in slices. We all know that. Yeah. But I heard it, uh, he suffered a huge slice of bad luck. <laughs> okay. And I, was, and I wow. wasn't sure. You, can you have a slice of bad luck or is it just a slice of luck? Slice of bad luck. I don't think you can have a slice yeah, of bad luck. Yeah, it jarred luck. with me a bit. I, I, I don't think there is a unit of measurement for bad luck. Yeah, but, well, then that's what I was thinking. Like, it's a real... Well, maybe there should be one. Run of bad luck? Yeah. Like bad luck, luck with injuries? Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, you can't have a slice of bad luck. I mean, who does? Who wants a slice of bad luck? Well, absolutely no one. Uh, so, you, so the implication is therefore that you you take the slice for yourself if you earn your luck in football. I don't know. But yeah, I yeah I I I'm happy to commit to bad luck not coming in slices. Um, Good. Okay. Well, I just want to check I wasn't going mad. I guess. <laughs> no, that's that's safe to say. But it would be remiss of us. Um, to not talk about what happened at the new Camp on Tuesday night, Jack. If we can, just for a short moment, indulge in some sincere football chat, just on a rare occasion for the Clichés pod. There was a moment during PSG's dismantling of Barcelona when I had to take a step back and think, this is this is football perfection. This is This is everything that modern football has been building up towards, this, this masterclass. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about Glenn Hoddle deciding that PSG's third goal was in fact onside due to the stripes on the pitch and the ensuing banter with Ian Dark. And they deserve it, Barry. They're a better side. I'm very impressed with your ability to read lawns and to get the greenery right. So it's a good call. <laughs> it's never my own lawn, I've got to say. <laughs> I'll never get out yeah, of here, it's yeah. mine. Yeah. You've got the job next time after that, I think. <laughs> Has all the ingredients, Jack, of textbook (laughs) commentator slash co-commentator banter, doesn't it? Yeah, that's incredible. I'd actually kind of missed that because I had the game on. Mm. I was I had the game on quite quietly on my laptop, so I actually missed that banter. I thought, I mean, it was fantastic. Hoddle was great last night. He was Mm. also doing that classic thing of uh, referring to Pochino as Mauricio. 
<laughs> which of course is totally normal because of course Hoddle would know Pochettino and they're both in their own way Tottenham Hotspur legends we, I mean I must say we, we did say we wouldn't talk about Spurs too much on this podcast <laughs> so I don't want to go there too deeply but yeah I mean I, I would completely get on board with your sincerity like last night was the best game I've seen this season it was the most most fun I've had watching football on telly in an empty, you know, empty stadium football for a very long time. It was fantastic. It was so good. Charlie, if we can just deconstruct what went on there. I mean, first of all, whenever there's an opportunity to talk about the co-commentator's home life, the, co-com- the, the commentator will snap it up. So getting into gardening, gardening is, mm. is classic territory for, uh, you know, what are you playing at? Banter between the two, isn't it? Yeah, and I, and it, the self-deprecation is key as well. So, it, you know, it has to be the kind of like, you know me, I'm useless kind of thing. Um, you know, you wouldn't find me doing that. Or if I did, it would be a kind of half-baked job. So, yeah, it had all the ingredients. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I think golf is probably still the gold standard for that sort of, you know, a sort of... Great golf banter with Hoddle. Exactly, yeah, dig about your swing. And I guess it's physical activity as well, but yeah, just... Perfect. And and the, the slight, and um, even in 2021, the, the slight sprinkling of, of patriarchy in there. So, you know, ask the wife. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wife. yeah. Yeah. Actually, maybe I maybe it wasn't it wasn't actually that um, patriarchal after all. It was essentially if the wife will let me. Um, so maybe it's uh, maybe it's more woke than I realised. But yeah, it, but yeah, had all the all the hallmarks <laughs> of lovely commentator banter. So thank you both. Glenn Hoddle to me is basically the now officially the new Trevor Brooking. He can provide you with mid-range conversational co-coms uh, without without it really kind of ruining your life. So, yeah, thank you to Hoddle and thank you to BT Sport and thank you to everybody for delivering that into my life on what was quite a night of Champions League football. Nights of Champions League football is what part two is all about, Jack, because we are, our job today is to pick the pure... Champions League 11. Now, as with all the other cliche 11s we've done, it's very important that we lay down the ethos of this 11. What does picking the pure Champions League 11 mean to you, Jack? So I was thinking about this earlier, and I don't think it it can't be a list of the greatest players of the last 20 to 30 years. No. um, Because while the Champions League is the high, I mean, it is the pinnacle of elite football in the world and has been for a long time. I think I think that right now we're looking at it more as the, this kind of never-ending international borderless entertainment product. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo and players like that are bigger than the Champions League. But yes. there's lots of players, so we can't have those guys. But there are lots of players who I think exist purely as sort of walk-ons in this endless soap opera mm. that is the Champions League. So in my 11, you know, the arg- I guess with this sort of thing, the arguments about the criteria are the whole point. But with my 11, I've tried not to have all-time great players. I think I might have, I might have one or... Th- I'd let one or two greats slip in there. Yeah. But it's mainly to do with people who are a constant presence in the Champions League, not just at one club, but often moving between different clubs, and who are... Yeah, so it's to do with longevity mm. and also representing the kind of classic entertainment and being really good at football by any standard, but classic entertainment format that is the Champions League, I think. Charlie, in our previous 11s, we've made a point about it not being open to elite level talent because they're fundamentally quite boring to talk about. 
it's unavoidable here. So I think we should allow mm. some elite stars into our team, but for very specific reasons. You have to back it up, don't you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, yeah, building on what Jack said, I mean, to me, a key thing was that I didn't want these to be players who had had achieved too much at, say, international level. I think that the purest yeah. Champions League ones are those players. And I don't know if this has changed with like the nature of football, but I feel like uh, back in the day, you would have players who seemed to only really exist in the Champions League and for some reason wouldn't really play... Um, mm for their countries too much and it was almost it felt like such a premium product at that point there yeah. were these guys who j- just seemed to play a kind of different sport to what to what we watched at home um <laughs> and existed in this in this in this weird um kind of vacuum so yeah i mean that said there are some some elite players who are just so much more associated with the champions league for whatever reason than international football or anything else they've done but um yeah, I think we're, we're probably all in agreement. There's a certain level of player here that we're probably talking about. A couple more points to cover before we get into the specifics. Charlie, our perception of what is a pure Champions League footballer is obviously going to be dictated very much by how we consumed it. Now, a certain mm. strata of our listenership are probably going to be able to empathise with sort of late 90s, early 2000s, consuming European football maybe once a week and then not hearing about it ever again until it comes back on ITV or whatever. So you were consuming these footballers really intermittently, only seeing snapshots of them. And, and, and that fed this kind of mystique in your mind of them as kind of European middleweights. Yeah, totally. And, and you know, when we were that, uh, when it was that kind of mid to late 90s uh, period on ITV, you know, and, and we were talking about that before the show, that was f- for a lot of people, um, you know, before Sky became more ubiquitous and everyone had it, or most people yeah. had it, it was for a lot of people all they got, and then into on digital and ITV digital, and then obviously Sky Sports got it. But yeah, it was um, it, it was exactly that, and I think it was it probably coincided also with the growth of football manager uh, championship manager as it was then, yeah. and the FIFA games and that sort of thing. So you had these guys who you only kind of really knew uh, as names, and then you were seeing them, and that definitely, add, you know, if I think back to those kind of. Juve teams of that period or Ajax or Dortmund that won it in 97 those players certainly uh, held a mystique um, from kind of the rareness and and also back then there were there were fewer games I mean they, there wasn't like the round of 16 stage and there was only one night of it because it used to be what UEFA Cup Tuesday yeah. Wednesday night Champions League Thursday night Cup Winners Cup so it, it did have a, a kind of rare a rarer quality than it does now. Finally Jack before we get started our previous 11s have been kind of punctuated by banter you know, there are players who have had a cult appeal and have been consumed <laughs> as such. I think the overriding feeling about the Champions League, especially in its kind of latter years, it, it's a banter-free zone, European football. It's all about the greatest of all time. It's all about running out of superlatives for certain players. And it, that, it's kind of encapsulated, but when you watch any Champions League draw, you have a legend turn up in their very crisp suit, being very polite. But there isn't any hint of rough edges about the Champions League. No, not at all. It's a, it's an incredibly sanitized it's not just a sanitized football product it's a sort of sanitized football world like there's this <laughs> there's this universe of kind of elite cadre of former champions league legends who exist from draw to draw and champ- going on going and champions league weekly is like their their pravda and uh they talk about their champions league experiences in this in this very kind it's like of euro speak isn't it? Yeah, in this Eurospeak, yeah. motiv- motivation will be decisive. Of mm. course, it is an honour to play in a game of this magnitude against such a respected opponent. <laughs> you, I love how much you've nailed the voice over there. It's absolutely and, perfect. And and that is Champions League speak. And the whole tournament seems to exist in this, uh, in that tone of voice. 
And uh, I mean, that's not to say it can't be funny, but it does have this like self-importance to it, which is part of the package. Yeah, it's definitely not intended to be funny, that's for sure. It's neon. Uh, it's Zurich. It's Pedro Pinto. It's that yes. kind of. Um, They're yeah, not exciting places or things, are they? But they are premium quality. Exactly. They're pristine. Listener Mark505 will set the scene for us here. He says, whoever is chosen, the 11 must play in the old Delhi Alpi under a fug of mist from smoke bombs and with an attendance (laughs) of about 19,000, but with the audio making it sound like there's 90,000 there. So he set the scene nicely for us. We're going to deploy a formation, Charlie, of 4-3-3. And I'd Mm -hmm. like you to give me a couple of names for your goalkeeper. Having said it was a banter-free zone, he's not really a banter player as such, but I just think of him as very Champions League, partly because he he went down notoriety is Akin Feyev who yes. went on this extraordinary run of um, not keeping clean sheets which um, made him quite well known but also I feel like Seska Moscow uh, just seemed to constantly be drawn against English teams so we mm-hmm. became quite familiar with, with Akin Feyev yeah. then I would say someone like Gregory Coupe who seemed to pop up quite a lot uh, and then on the more premium end and I don't he may be moving too much towards all time great I think of Oliver Kahn, who I know did also do things at international level. You know, he he was the outstanding keeper, wasn't he, in the 2002 World Cup until he made that error in the final. But I think of I, I can just see his in those ITV days, uh, him popping up and performing heroics and feeling really quite terrifying. So yeah, he he's at that kind of upper end, and may, maybe he's too good, but um, he feels very Champions League, uh, the, the kind of premium scary end of it. I feel like Charlie has absorbed so much Champions League football that he's been indoctrinated into the pronunciation of Suska which I, I just can't get on board with Charlie fair play to you for, <laughs> I know. for, for I, just I, throwing it in there. I did think that as I said it that was very Champions League <laughs> Jack this perhaps this position perhaps sums up our quandary between elite level names and players who become notable for maybe one or two things good or bad. Where do you stand here? Yeah I, I'm struggling with this to be honest. I, I, this is a really difficult balance and I think a lot of my players are I'm starting to worry they're slightly too good because I've got two options here uh, my my good option is Victor Valdez uh, who okay. I think is good but not too good Like obviously keeping a great team but not necessarily a great keeper also because has that like he's just a very foreign goalkeeper and the mm. foreignness I think is essential to this team he's the kind <laughs> of goalkeeper that like most English people would think is shit even though he's clearly not shit, but people are oh, Valdez. If you just get if you get at Valdez, you got a chance. <laughs> yes, so, yes. So he, he <laughs> which was basically Man United's tactic in the 2009 and 2011 finals. So he's my good choice. My bad choice is, you know, with all due respect, uh, Andre Piatov of uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. Ah, yes. Who I always remember. I don't think I remember playing him like him playing spectacularly badly. Actually, in the Europa League against Fulham in 2010. Can that be right on the on that run? But certainly City have put about a thousand goals past him over the course of the last <laughs> few years. And uh, I know like Shakhtar like to play it out from the back and he's always doing this kind of short goal kicks to the centre-back. But uh, I've also seen him like run and fail to catch so many crosses that he's just kind of seemingly... For me, he represents part of the fun in the Champions League, although I know this isn't meant to be a fun team. OK, so I've, I've, I've heard your cases. I feel like I need to make the casting vote here I was kind of tempted to throw in your Casillas your Buffons your Neuers just because of the mythology that's kind of built up around them over the years and their longevity but Charlie I agree with you Igor Akinfeyev 43 games without a Champions League clean sheet and as Paco Allen writes in Akinfeyev should go in goal because I heard about his run of games without a clean sheet in Europe at 6pm every second Tuesday or Wednesday for years so he just (laughs) rubbed into us and that's all he became known for 
Um, so mm. I think knowing about a player or knowing of a player for one purely administrative reason without having any appraisal about their footballing abilities at all, it could be a core part of this team. So um, given that elite <laughs> talent is going to seep into the rest of this team, the further forward we go, I feel like we do need someone like Akinfeyev in goal, a Champions League bit of furniture. He made his debut in 2002 at the age of 18 or something. So yeah, he's in there. Akinfeyev is our goalkeeper. Moving on to right back. My impression over the years of sort of European fullbacks slash wingbacks is that I want them to have played relentlessly for about 15 years. <laughs> I, I don't need them to be technically brilliant. I just need them to be relentlessly and tactically intelligent and just, you know, low-key unstoppable. So that's my criteria. I'm thinking Gianluca Zambrotta and Javier Zanetti. But perhaps too good. Well, that I mean, the, the criteria you just listed sounds like you might have been making a case for Branislav Ivanovic, who I think would be a could be a worthy inclusion on this. He's obviously played a lot of Champions League games. Mm. I've actually gone, I've actually gone for the kind of Waitrose end of the end of the scale here. I've gone for Philip Lahm, who I think okay. is maybe too good, and he has, I, I, he has. You know, he has maybe had too good a career to be in this, but I think he really, I think he really represents the earnestness and seriousness of the Champions League. He's he's so plausible as in five years' time he'll be the Luis Figo, Pavel Nedved guy, oh, drawing the ball, mm. drawing the balls out of the bag with Pedro Pinto. So, so clean cut. So Probably I think mm. eight exactly, exactly. Like the Champions League is those values that you're just describing. And Lam is those values as well. So that's why I've gone for Lam, although I admit he is maybe slightly too good. Charlie, my only fear about Lam is that he's a bit too internationally. I feel it, I, I, I connect him with World Cups and European Championships as well as Champions League. Is that a fair, fair worry? Possib- yeah, yeah, possibly. I, I really like um, the idea, though, of having a tactically intelligent two-footed fullback, mm. a uh, right-back or left-back, just because that felt so... A- I mean, I guess we had Dennis Irwin to some yeah. degree, but that, that did feel very novel. And so ju- just building on some of those Italian names, like Zambrotta, I think of like Pesotto and Delivio, um, mm. who I couldn't tell you all that much about, but they were just names that seemed so to be you know, at the stead. So functional, but all, you know, always at the Stadio della Alpi. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure, I, you know, if they were playing now, I'm sure we'd be like, you know, who's actually really good and underrated is Pasotto <laughs> and yeah. Delivio. They are so tactics. They're, they're not, their underlying numbers are really good. Obviously, at the time, we would have just been like, who, the, who are these guys? So I'd throw guys like them in, and and then I'll talk. I'm sure this team will come up, but. To me, Valencia of that uh, kind of early mid noughties mm. felt very otherworldly, like because they had players who you'd be like, "Are these players even good?" You know, I've I've barely yeah. even heard of these players. How are they winning the league over like the Galacticos of Real Madrid and Barcelona, who have tons of players who on FIFA and Football Manager are incredible? Mm. Um, so someone like Anglomar, who uh, was the right okay. back for that team. Um, would chuck him into the mix as well. Okay, this is a, this is a very tricky one. It's um, hard right back. Yeah. Um, international concerns notwithstanding, I'm happy to go with Lam, and I because I'm most persuaded by Jack's point that you can see him very vividly conducting UEFA Champions League draws for the rest of eternity. Um, yeah, he's so, he's so Central Europe, isn't he? He's yeah. just uh, that all of that. He's just uh, yeah, he could. I could so see him in Zurich and Neon. Philip Lamad is at right back. Over to the left now. Not sure again where to go with this. I mean, it is by definition, Charlie, a more exotic position. So yeah. I, I've gone with Roberto Carlos, first of all. I'm also going to throw David Alaba in there, but we can't have Alaba and Lam because mm. so that's I, too boring. 
I, I um, the name that jumped out at me here was Serginio, who I feel is exotic and exciting enough, but without someone like Carlos, but without having the kind of more international, um, global appeal. Serginio feels like one of those guys who was elite. I think he won. Certainly won Milan. one Champions League. Milan? Yeah, the Mil- yeah, yeah okay. the Milan. Um, kind of exciting left back, left winger kind of hybrid again. Mm. Um, you know that felt quite novel. Someone being able to do both of those roles, um, and also obviously very good. And then I at, at the sort of upper end, but I'm not convinced because I think he is more international. Would be someone like Lisa Razu, who um, yes. again again was like very. That was very smart and felt like a quite a modern fullback compared to what we were served up in the Premier League. A nice ITV era option as well. Yeah, I, mm. I, got, I like mm. that. Jack, Lisa Razu, I think, is the front runner here. Anything else? Yeah, I love Lisa Razu. I think that's a great pick. The, the, guy, the one guy I've got written down for this is Christian Kivu. Yes. Um, I like the idea of having... I think we've got to have at least one player from Inter 2010. Mm. Maybe one I agree with this. Great Champions League teams. Great because they were so good while also not being like Barcelona good, if you know what I mean. They yeah. were the best. And they were just a hilarious combination of players from all around the world who Mourinho melded together. So I like Kivu. I think he really represented the values of that team. Uh, he also played in a rugby scrum cap. Yes, yes he did. <laughs> yes, he was a little sprinkling of notoriety with that, which I quite like. But Charlie, wasn't Kivu in our transfer rumours 11? I'm I was not saying that disqualified say, him. Yeah, no, no. I was just going to say that, he could be the only one, the only player of all of these to have overlapped between our three, uh, <laughs> three 11s that we've could, done so far. He could so easily have been pure Barclays 11 as well if he just <laughs> made the move. If only he joined, yeah. Oh, the, the hallowed holy grail hat trick. Okay, should we go with Kivu then? I quite like, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, I mean... Again, it's a little bit like we it's the Champions League equivalent of the Pure Barclays fielding like a centre back out of position. We don't want flying fullbacks. We want we want sort of statesmen who've been there for years <laughs> and just, just doing their job and being solid. Yeah. So I yeah, I like Kivu. I'm 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 gonna allow it. On to centre halves, Jack Pitbrook. Um I throw you Sergio Ramos, Carlos Puyol, Pepe. Rafael Varane, Philippe Mexes as, as as a kind of sturdy monolith option. Yeah, so I I think Pepe is a must. Pepe is one of the first names on my team sheet. He plays up to a certain sort of image. Um, so yeah, as the as the hard man, he'd be probably the best option. Although I did I do I was thinking about Lucio, but I didn't want to have too many Inter players. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, let's, so let's also, have Lucio. Lucio is also by Leverkusen option. Oh but, yeah. Uh, but no, oh, I think Pepe's yeah. a must. Difficult. So difficult. Unless we put Anyone Lucio in, on? we could put Lucio in and move Lisa Rizou and put Lisa Rizou at left back, so we're not having two because we can't we can't have two of those into defenders. But I do think Lucio is more pure Champions League, partly as Jack says because he was in that Leverkusen team, uh, which yeah, felt because yeah. like, that again felt like a real Champions a League team because again it was like classic, how are they doing team. so well? As with all these 11s, I, I do like a little and large partnership when it comes to the heart of our defence. So if we do have a rough house like Pepe, or just a towering presence like Lucio. Then alongside them, I want a kind of weedy-looking but actually quite hard centre-half. And dare I say it, a master of the dark arts. I was thinking Diego Godin. Ooh. Oh, yeah, Godin's a good shout. I mean, I think of Ivan Cordoba in that world of the... Oh, or, yeah. or obviously Cannavaro. Nice, not nice. not the dark arts necessarily, but but kind of smaller in stature. So those would be options. I mean, yeah, Mexes was someone who popped into my head as just pure Champions League. One of those guys who I've, I'm never fully is. sure what team he's playing is. for at any given moment. 
which I think is good. I mean, going further back as well, I thought of like Van Boyten. Um, just oh, yes. Seemed like someone yeah. you saw Jack's popping up in various up different guises. <laughs> I feel I want to lay down the law here. I want my weedy hard man, so we're going to have Godin because he's been around for ages, yeah. good top-level player, um, enough of the dark arts without becoming sort of cartoonish about it, which I think, I have to say, will count Pepe out. I don't want pantomime villains in my Champions League eleven. Um, but what I do want is someone who's so been around for so long and has been sort of widely accepted as being good, but just sort of bleeding into your consciousness without really knowing. And that's where I think your Varans and your Mexes is come in. I think so Mexes out of those two. I, I think, think it's, got, it's got to be Mexes, isn't it, Jack? Yeah, Mexes for um, incredible durability. Like he was so. Remember when he, he first came? He first came through. Was he playing for Ozer with Shibusise yeah. in yeah, like yeah. two thousand? And then 20 years later, you'd still see it. Christ, is he still playing for Roma? Fucking hell. Because <laughs> I think being... <sighs> Look at him go. Yeah, but like being this kind of young star, this kind of highly rated youngster, it's part of the Champions League journey. And then 10 years later, you, you've taken your eye off them completely. And yet, they're still there. And you think, well, I wonder how old he is. He was good, wasn't he? So yeah, I think Mexis is perfect for this. Also, because yeah. he missed out on the transfer gossip at 11. So I feel like we, we owe mm. him. So Godin and Mexes. He was gutted about just, that, wasn't he? Yeah, and you can yes, but you can see them together in a cha- in a in a Champions League starting eleven centre half party. Both pulling shirts in at the same corner, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. Uh, and like the centre forward of the English team struggling to get away. You know, at this level in European football, you're gonna, you're going to get a bit of that. <laughs> he also once scored that incredible goal uh, volley that I can imagine being trailed back when Sky Sports used to have the highlights and like we've still got eight goals to come and there's one you won't want to miss And okay I like I like that so yeah good case for Mexes made he is slots in alongside Godin to complete our back four at left back Christian Kivu and at right back Philip Lahm providing the shield in front of the famously porous Igor Akinfeyev. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Right, our midfield trio. Now, the laws go out the window here. We don't really care about roles. We don't care about balance. We just want players who fit the mould. Jack, fire a few names at me, please. Okay, not, the first player is a player I will not negotiate on because he okay. is, uh, he's, my, he's the captain of my team as well. And oh, that wow. is Mr. Gazprom, Thiago Motta. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's experienced. He's canny. He's been in so many different guises. He was a kind of... Long, he was he had a ponytail, I think, playing for Rijkaard's Barcelona. Yeah, I'm sure he started the 2006 final as it looked kind of like quite a like functional midfield with Ed Nielsen. Mm. And then, of course, he was you know the living embodiment of Jose Mourinho in the mm. inter team in 2010. And then he had this kind of last stage at PSG where, okay. uh, in the kind of constant, constant rotation that they had of players. And Motta was just always there. He's so what I like about him is he's so he's so slow and he's so clever and he's so like uh winning fouls, fouling people, talking to the ref, talking to the ref to like stop him or his teammates getting booked in the yeah. in that kind of like Mark Van Bommel style. Yes, I think uh, I think he's in he's in ahead of Van Bommel for many yeah. of those reasons. I'm not sure, you know, the eight the Eastheats out there might not want Tiago Motta <laughs> and Mark Van Bommel as a double pivot, but uh we can get onto that later. I, I like him because he's part of that very curious little subgenre of players who are essentially sort of defenders for Barcelona as an afterthought 
behind all the really good <laughs> players they had going forward. And it, <laughs> and it, to the point where they could just play anyone there and it would be fine. So, yeah, I'm Yaya Toure in the Champions Motta. League final of 2009. Exactly, sort of thing. yeah. So, yeah, Thiago Motta is going to anchor this midfield, which, which allows us to be a little bit more adventurous, yeah. Charlie, with some of our more creative players. Who would you like to go for? Yeah, well, I mean... D- d- there are a couple who aren't necessarily that more creative, but someone like Ruben Baraja, um, who mm. was part of that Valencia team I was talking about, one of those guys who... Oh, they all my... tried to go on to better things, but never did. Yeah, like, and just... The one my... who went to Barcelona, whose name I've forgotten. Yeah, and they were... I mean, they were, they were all... I mean, um, Angulo was mentioned oh, yes. uh, for one as well, wasn't he? But like Baraja, I don't know, those guys, they just feel, felt so beyond my scope of comprehension at that time as to mm. how these guys were elite. But I would name drop them trying to sound clever. And then I, I, I would say someone like Koke is a modern iteration of that. Someone who... Okay. You wouldn't pick out in a lineup, but you know they're good. I don't... Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I don't think I'd recognise him if you walked past me in the street, but I'm aware that if someone said, who knows more about football than me said, you know who's really good is Koke, I'd be like, yep, 100% agree. He he must be really good because he seems to keep popping up for this elite Simeone team. It, it feels weird to, I mean, these days, it feels weird to kind of declare your ignorance in, in, in a certain way, like saying, I don't even know what this player looks like. But I think that's fine now. I think that's fine. There are well, so that, many good yeah. players. I, I can't keep track I, of them all. And as long as I appreciate that he's good, that's all that matters. I don't care if I can pick him out in a lineup or not. Exactly, and I think it's actually quite nice in a way that in the you know supposed era of you football ubiquity, where it's like, oh, you know, the, the mystique is gone. I still wouldn't recognise Koke, and that's yeah. uh, I that's think what it would nice. be like in the fifties. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't know what Josef Mazapust looks like. That's fine, <laughs> but you know he's good. So exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by the Coke Avenue that we're going down here. Jack, I, I want to throw in some sort of creative playmaker kind of roles here. I think Verratti has a really good shout for this team. Um, he's surprising. Love he's 28, Verratti, yeah. despite looking like someone who'd stand on the wrong side of an escalator at, at Oxford Circus wearing a puffer jacket <laughs> just getting in the way. Van Bommel we've ruled out. Listener Simon Mustard which I hope is his real name, writes in to declare his allegiance for Pavel Nedved. He says, I refuse to mm. believe that Pavel Nedved ever played a league game in his career. He is pure Champions League <laughs> Euros UEFA royalty. I think Nedved He's is also pure draw uh, in Switzerland. I feel like we have to have Nedved. We need yes, to still there. luscious locks, yeah. looks great, you know, in, in a well, well-fitting suit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, do, I do like Verratti as well as a shout because I think he is also... Also, someone who just looks like a different species to what we know in exactly. this country. I, like I, the way he plays is just yeah, so totally. different. I think this is crucial, especially in, in the midfield roles. We need players who, when they come up against English teams, even now, and this especially would have been the case late nineties, early two thousand, we've just kind of what is this? Like we yeah, we yeah, cannot yeah. compete with any of this. Yeah, but yeah. Why are exactly. they so good at keeping the ball? Like where are yeah. they taught this? Why aren't we taught this? So Verratti is both a throwback and a kind of, you know, still a modern day proponent of that as well. So Verratti and Nedved are our kind of front runners here. Jack, would you like to throw any more kind of creative well, playmakers in here? Just the other names I've got on my list. So there's Janinho uh, Panamacano. Yeah, he was, yeah, I think he's... Uh, specialist, yes. He, I mean, look, he'd be good off the bench if we had a free kick late on. Clarence Seydorf, I ruled out as being slightly too good, but does span a lot of it. I like I like his era spanning, like Ajax 95 through to uh, Ancelotti Milan. I like, yeah, he's pretty like, pure. More of the kind of names who are just presences. I've written down Lisandro Lopez and Lucho Gonzalez. <laughs> uh, and then a personal favourite of mine, Diego. Remember li- little Brazilian Diego oh, yeah. who played yes. for... Wolfsburg, Werder Bremen, Juventus. Uh, Spurs, Atlet- Spurs were linked Atletico. with him. Yeah, he's oh, like a classic Did he go Spurs to Spurs target. or not? 
no, no, no. 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 He, oh, he, he could have been in the link with the Premier League move 11, actually. Um, <laughs> he, also, <laughs> Diego. He, he kind of passes the test because I don't remember him ever playing for Brazil. Like He might have been mm. a World mm. Cup squad, but I don't associate with him playing had, for yeah. Brazil. He's he just someone who was like, much. he just bash one in for Juventus or Fenerbahce or from 40 yards. So I'd be like, yeah, wow. Diego. This is really hard. I think those are great shouts. And a few more just to throw in. Valeron of uh, yes, Deportivo, yes. who had that what a man. brilliant period. Where, again, talking about the exoticism. And I guess Raquel May in a similar way. What but Valeron Kaka? for me. Like, well, Kaka, he's yeah. So but Champions I fa- League, isn't he? We can't have a Ballon d'Or winner. <laughs> he's so elite, yeah. Why? And then someone like Rui Costa, who, again, I mean, you know, obviously he, you can well imagine him at a Champions League draw. Um, and then moving slightly back, someone like Flavio Conceição, who again, someone I knew nothing about, but he played for Real Madrid and was clearly really good. Guys, there is an elephant in the room when it comes to our midfield. Brazilians at Shakhtar Donetsk. <laughs> Jadson, Tyson, Douglas Costa, Fernandinho, in fact. Do we need a Shakhtar Brazilian in this team? I love Shakhtar Brazilians. I love, <laughs> Alano, I love Alano. I love Fernandinho. Luis Adriano up front. But yeah, we could, really we could return to this up front. We want to use our centre forward on Luis Adriano. Well, we've got three to play with, maybe. Maybe should we do a bench? We'll do a bench at the end and have a Shakhtar player on there. Do you remember Ilsenio? Nope. Oh, well, you're missing it. You, you're missing out. <laughs> <laughs> um... Okay, let, let's let's go God, with this. So is we've so got hard. we have Thiago Motta. Is is it indulgence to have him and Verratti? I mean, I know Verratti's playing a little bit further forward these days, tactics. But um, someone's read Michael Cox. Yes, I did. This, <laughs> that's how I found out he was twenty eight. I was amazed. <laughs> Not Coxy. Um, we have Nedved is Nedved is in as to use yeah. Jack's words non negotiable because he is he bleeds UEFA. So yeah. that leaves that leaves we've, we we have a enforcer. We have a elite level workhorse slash man capable of the spectacular. So do we need a, just a pure luxury player now? Verratti and Valeron, I think, are my two favourites. Yeah. I'm not it's, buying it's... Valeron as a kind of commercial era Champions League presence. I'm not buying it. Cult hero, huge favourite amongst the, as you say, asthetes. But I, I, <laughs> I don't have him as a Champions League. It's Deportivo. That They're so removed from the Champions League picture now. And have been yeah. for so long. I can't. They are now, but they they shone so brightly. Yeah. What about Paul Skulls? Because Skulls of Manchester. <laughs> exactly, Jack. I'd um. I just want to um revisit a a quote that emerged on Tuesday night, and I'm speaking slowly as I actually finally bring it up on my computer. This is how slow you have to talk when you're doing this sort of thing. But it was a quote from Mauricio Pochettino on Mbappe after his performance at the Camp Nou. He says, the best players always have absolute confidence. He was feeling calm. He said to me yesterday, how many times have you won at Camp Nou? I said once with Espanyol. He told me, tomorrow you'll win a second. That's why he's a top player. (laughs) Jack, I feel like these... These quotes are part of the Champions League tapestry. There's an element of Champions League weakliness about them. But there's also this, this is how foreign players talk. Um, We're so used to Italian players responding to questions in such an Italian players-y kind of way. It's so alien to us. And I feel like we have to have this slightly sort of fictional quotes generating players in here. That's true. I mean, like, no... no, I don't mean this as a piss take, but no English person would ever say, it's the history of Tottenham. Would they? Mm. That was such a kind of Italian footballer 
way like there's kind of lyricism to it mm. uh, and maybe yeah maybe that is true maybe maybe we should include skulls maybe we should have an english player in there because skulls I mean, has got like he's, he's been part of what two champions league winning teams yeah. he was never never the best player in the world but was like a pre- a constant presence in the champions league mm. he's delivered like goals iconic Champions League goals including in the semi-final yeah. and I'm sure to if you maybe this is bullshit but if you were like a teenager growing up in at school in I don't know Milan or Madrid or wherever and you'd be would you do the whole you know he's really good Skulls of Manchester well, I think this is it this is a crucial point because he is probably one of the only perhaps the only English player over the last 20 years where where his foreign counterparts would talk in those terms about him. Lampard and Gerrard, obviously very good players, and they were they were statistically a threat, but they weren't talked about in those kind of, you know, that kind of loving terms. So Skulls has to be in there for that reason. Yeah, to the point where it spawned a whole lot of fake, I mean, just tons of fake quotes going around, aren't there, from like Zidane, like forget Pele, forget Maradona, it's all about Paul Skulls for me, and it, and people sort of believe it. And he missed a final with a yellow card, which is which is a huge part mm, of, of Champions yeah. League um, roller coaster. That's very Champions League. That's it. He's I in. do think as well He's what in. Jack touches on the he in that period I was talking about when when I would pretend I appreciated someone like Ruben Baraka. Skulls again was <laughs> quite a neat shorthand to showing you really understood the game. Whilst you know people went on about Giggs or Beckham or whoever else, you're like you know who I think's really good. It's it's Skulls. Skulls is the one for me. Yeah, Giggsy is a little bit Champions League. Beckham not really. No. Beckham has Too Beckham famous. operates way yeah. beyond that sphere, doesn't he? Yeah, and and G- Giggs is a Premier League. You know, let you know he's more Premier League 100 club. Yeah, longevity in the champion. Yeah, in the Premier League, playing a thousand games, whatever. Blah blah blah. We need players with a little bit of layer of mythology about them, and there are no English players other than Skulls who have that. So here's our midfield. Fun- Sorry, Jack. It's- go on. So it's funny that we've had this conversation about you know players that have a layer of mythology about them and you know players that you say that you like to as a signifier that you get football without mentioning Andrea Pirlo, the king of those players. Yeah, I know. I just but he transcended it, didn't he? He he because he became so big and and like he went mainstream. I think that's part of his problem. Like if we'd been doing this a decade ago, maybe Pirlo, but he. You know, he he did just become so ubiquitous, I think. His kind of late, late, late career peak coincided with the Champions League final against Barcelona, I think, and also the Euros as well, maybe sort of 2012. So I think he's that kind of international level appeal. It, it, there's no real justification for ruling him out, but I'm so happy with the players we've chosen for all the subtle yeah. little reasons that I'm, uh, I'm afraid Pirlo can be... I don't know what Pirlo can be... I don't know what. Sorry, Andrea. It's, a, it's no. a great midfield. It's a great midfield. Yeah, I'm happy with it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Moving on to our forward line, we have a raft of options here, Charlie. Um, Nick Friend says Roy Mackay never played mm. in the Premier League and therefore was somewhat shrouded in mystery by the punditry of the time, but feel like he was a prime face of the Amstel slash ITV days. Also has the added bonus of sounding like he could have played for Celtic in 1960s. <laughs> also, you can't say Roy Mackay without hearing Diego Tristan. I mean, those mm. two were... Hand in hand. 
they were, t- and again with that with that Valeron uh, Deportivo team, you know they they were. I mean, it's a sh- it's a shame Tristan did eventually play in the Premier League, didn't he? Because otherwise he, he could have yeah. been in that um, <laughs> never quite made it team. <laughs> yeah, I mean Romakai. R- R- I mean his you know the, his heir, I guess, Klaas Jan Huntelaar on the more elite level. And again, I think he gets an exemption because he is so Champions League is Raúl, who uh, you know scored goals at a prodigious rate in the Champions League, but at a, but at a kind of you know, human being rate before Ronaldo and Messi came along and were just scored, you know, and obliterated all his records. But he uh, he was the the Champions League guy for a while, and he won a couple um, and was you know beautifully polished. And and again, I think you know he's got a job for life at Champions League draws. So to me, ticks a lot of boxes. Raúl, the reason why I I would make a strong case for Raúl on top of everything you've just said is that of course he is he exists perennially at the top of that list of players who have scored loads of Champions League goals. I never remember if he's number one or Ruud van Nistelrooy is number two or, or, or what. Who Who's top of those charts? But for me, he's kind of like the the eternal leader of that of that top scoring chart. And do you know what? On top of that, I can't remember a single goal he scored in the Champions League. I can't picture it. I, I haven't got it in my head. Maybe there was one at Old Trafford. That's yeah, it. He, got the, he got those two at Old Trafford, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, and you know, they weren't great goals. And, and uh, so I feel like he has to be there just for his statistical presence alone. Jack, hit me with some strikers. Well, my number nine, and I kind of undenied about this, is uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, mm-hmm. who I think he might fail the Beckham test in terms of being too famous. Yeah, I think he might also fail the Sadov test in terms of being too good. He's mm-hmm. very much a permanent presence in the Champions League. He's played in the Champions League for seven different yep. teams. Ajax, Juve, Inter, Barca, AC Milan, PSG, Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really good list. He's he's also got that like internationalness of being the Champions League. You know, he's played in so many different leagues. He plays for Sweden, but he's not that famous for anything he's done for Sweden. Anything he's specifically no, done true. for Sweden. That's true. Um, so I yeah, he's just he's just always there. He's always there, like prompting debates about whether or not he's good and and because he's never won the Champions League, has yeah, he? which so is very another... funny as well. Because oh, it, I like that. How, his self-aggrandizing yeah. shit, which is so annoying, and he's actually he's actually never won the Champions League, despite but, what all the incels on Twitter might think. Yeah. <laughs> but one crucial spanner in the works that you mentioned: does his self-aggrandizing, does this Zlatan crap, does it not fly in the face of the sanitized UEFA brand? Yeah. It's not Champions Leaguey behaviour. I think that's, that's a, a nail in his coffin in terms of getting into that's this a- team. That's a good point. He would be the wild card for sure. You can't have someone who acts like that in your Champions League, pure Champions League 11. That's not what the Champions League is all about. I've got three wild cards in my front three, so maybe we should sit with Raul. Okay. Another um, couple of... Ne- I mean, in Z- Pippo and Zaghi, again, yes, I feel yes. is always pretty high up on that list. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. feel now Messi, Ronaldo are just miles clear of everyone, but, mm. but but that feels unfair. So I still think of the kind of Raul and Zaghi. Mm. Uh, maybe Cliver as well, he might be knocking around. I think of him as... Um, mm. In that I would definitely have Inzaghi over Cliver. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I just think Cliver as well was um, he had a kind of there was something cultured and quite cool about him. But yeah, Pippo and Zaghi felt very Champions League. Inzaghi is essentially the the striker equivalent of the midfielder that we were talking about earlier, who English fans just couldn't comprehend. Yeah, um, and how do they play football like that? I mean, that doesn't look like fun. You know, well, the way Inzaghi plays, that's like, oh, horrible. That just looks rubbish. But he's got the wasn't. He's got the Ferguson saying he was born offside thing. Yeah. So there was that. There oh, was he's that, got his um, quote. He has his yeah, quote. Yeah, he's got the quote, yeah, which huge. may be made up. I mean, it's, so, it's one of them. But So you've got <laughs> the kind of suspicion from here, exactly as you say, of a kind of that guy is just not someone 
who we can appreciate. He scored two in a final, I think. And yes, yeah, so Inzaghi feels to me as well in that era where going to places like San Siro was really intimidating. Um, mm-hmm. So like the Della Alpi and that kind of um, fog that used to be there, I feel like yeah. going there was so scary and you just knew that you were going to concede a goal from like two, y- two yards out to Inzaghi and it would then get really loud. And um, yeah, he, he felt when, you know, there was a real... Uh, like stepping into the unknown a little bit about those European away trips. So, Jack, we have two kind of, well, I suppose, relatively speaking, relics of the Champions League year. We have Raul, we have Inzaghi, very old school presences. We need something a little bit fresher, maybe something a little bit more muscular. We've discounted Zlatan, which is a shame. What other number nines can you offer me? Well, none. But the two (laughs) other names I've got are like... I think we need a wide player in this. We need okay. someone who's going to try and beat people because we don't, neither Raul nor Inzaghi give us much of that. We need some, we need another flair player, basically a tricky a tricky winger who does stepovers. And I've got two options: Ez- Ezekiel Lavezzi, maybe not so much for stepovers guy, but nice. certainly like pure Gazprom. Like I know he did play he did play for Argentina in the World Cup, but for me, he's all about. Napoli team in the early 2010s who were really, really good and kind of intimidating in a in a classic Champions League mm. atmosphere. That scary uh, that, announcer, man. Yeah, he played for then, Barcelona, didn't he? Uh, PSG. He went to PSG after Napoli. Yeah, um, which again is a great latter era Gazprom move. Yeah, he went almost exactly the same time as Cavani made that same transfer. Who the Nap- hell am I thinking of? Back when, oh, who's the who's the diminutive French player who who? Oh, played? Julie, Ludovic Julie, Julie. Julie. Yeah, he's also that's in it. the match. That's what I mean. Great, yeah. <laughs> Barca, um, Monaco, yeah. Roma, I think. The all French Lavezzi, as he's. So Julie, would, <laughs> uh, I actually think Julie would be a better shout than Lavezzi. The one other name I've got written down here is the great Ricardo Quaresma, Barcelona, Porto, uh, like part of the Inter treble team, but never played. Besiktas. Enough of a Champions League, League presence, would you say, as a, as a sustained feature of the Champions League? Would you have him? Played in the Champions League for like five different teams. Just he went through the motions despite having that thing that he does. Maybe he's more of a Europa League player. I definitely yeah, see, I, I he always that pops up scoring, scoring an insane goal for Besiktas or yeah. Vitor, now Vittoria Guimaraes. Yeah. He'll, score, he'll like bang <laughs> one in with the outside of his right boot, which will curl... Yeah around everyone into the far top corner against yeah. whoever. He certainly flirted with the with the with the pure Barclays 11 if I remember rightly. So he's he's on the cusp of this sort of Charisma. thing. Charisma, he played like 10 games in the Barclays. Yeah, I know, Maybe. but he was right there in the in the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he right at the, was, yeah, came at the was. right time. Um what about Robin? Yeah. About I had Robin? Robin. I had Robin and then scrubbed his name for uh for Lovetsy and my team. Uh, Robin think- it's a, a classic presence. I feel like Robin, Robin and would Larm. go down better with 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 the masses. But Robin and Larm shame. feels a bit too um, too Bayern. having too high end Bayern legends. I mean, lower end Bayern is someone like Ivica Olic, who I only <laughs> I, really know from uh, from a few Champions League appearances. No, I'm um, not having Olic. No, we need someone I mean, better than him. I mean, Figo again, but he's probably too elite. But he's very Switzerland for the draw. Do you know he, what? I mean, he bleeds Gazprom and Champions yeah. League. Figo is a fascinating um, case study for this potential eleven. It's because he was clearly a good. He, he started off as an incredibly exciting young player, then rose into becoming this icon. Had an incredibly big money move, ticks all of those elite level boxes, and became a superstar. Genuinely brilliant, great, world class, legendary player, and yet so boring. Like, <laughs> such a boring player to even think about, regardless of all those things. And everything about him is dull. 
Yeah, he's really corporate. I think he's actually a yeah. really good shout for this. Like, I can sort of imagine just playing football like advert. in yeah, just for men adverts, wearing a black suit with a black tie and a white shirt, and just looking kind of a million dollars, but quite um, sort of lacking in personality and charisma. So he, I think he, I think he is. He would be the real corporate sheen in this team. We're being a bit harsh, but he... he, he is I mean, we know so, nothing about he's him. He's so but... Euro-speak, isn't he, Jack? Yeah. By which I mean, oh, speaks yeah, yeah, yeah. more languages than I do, and yet, and yet. I don't want him in my forward line. I want a towering number nine here. I don't need them to have been elite level. I just need them to have been lingering around the Champions League long enough to have seeped into everyone's consciousness, played for a few teams, scored a few goals have a relatively conspicuous name, and that man is Klaas Jan Huntelaar. Yeah. yeah. So mentioned mention Huntelaar earlier as the kind of Roy Mackay successor, and I think he, he does have quite a lot going for him. I mean, the only thing with that is, do you think that's too rudimentary for the Champions League to have that kind of play? I mean, you you know, someone like Jan Koller, I think of as in, in that mould, but... But I don't think of him as, as being anywhere near having anywhere near enough sheen. We're going to disappoint so many people here because, I mean, the players we haven't even mentioned, Alessandro Del Piero, who we cannot yeah. have as well as Inzaghi, which I completely accept that. But he's so Champions League. He is so Champions League, but I think he's more James Richardson Gazetta. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I think that's... he's quite Serie A. More, I think he's more Serie A than Champions League. I don't know about that, but I but I will accept he was, he was big in Italy, so I will accept that. Uh, Robin, we've discounted for reasons I'm not entirely happy with. Kingsley Common seems to just be there all the time at the moment. Yeah. In finals doing He's his one thing. of the what I like about him as a pick is he's had a career of incredible success playing for the, the best teams in the world at a pretty young age and he's also scored a winning goal in the Champions League final. Yeah. And yet he is Does that count against him or for him? Well, I'd struggle to say that he is like I've seen him play very well, or that I can tell that he's obviously mm. a brilliant player. Is it's he even a striker? To, it's more to do know. with his permanent presence, permanent presence in the elite of European football, in the way that some some young players do. I quite like the idea of Huntelaar. I think Huntelaar takes quite a lot of boxes. He's also play. He's he's also having been part of that like pre two thousand and nine, as in the return of Florentino Perez Real Madrid yep. team, which was oh just God. just an assembly of like quite <laughs> good, good players bought from around Europe. Van der Vaart, Schneider, yeah, yeah. Royce and Drenzer, yeah. get them all in, get them all in, and we'll just see how it works out. Which is a very very Champions League thing to happen, and they were rubbish in the Champions League as well that lot. I think that's the clincher. The fact that he played briefly for Real Madrid. Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's fair. I mean, despite having perhaps not quite touch the stratosphere of the Champions League also while bearing in mind we can't go with these Latans or your Messi's or your Ronaldo's I think Huntelaar is a nice little cross-section satisfying player for our number nine role he joins Raul and Filippo Inzaghi in our front three sorry to Del Piero sorry to Robin sorry to Shakhtar's Luis Adriano there was no room for you can I just I- mention as well because I know otherwise people will say I can't even mention it is Shevchenko who both had the early career exoticism of playing for Dynamo Kiev and that great Agreed. team, and then became a real part of the Champions League furniture at Milan. And and I also think he would do pretty well at a draw. He, yes, yeah, very he, he draw. would be really good at being nervous at a draw. He hasn't yeah. got the kind of Figo sheen about him. Uh, he's a very awkward man, I feel. Um, but yeah, he he could do a draw. Uh, yeah, I'm, there are so many big names to leave out. Shevchenko is is up there, but comical 
well, supposedly comical spell at Chelsea, I feel also counts against him. Let's run through our democratically elected pure Champions League eleven. In goal, Igor Akinfeyev. At right-back, Philippe Lahm. A centre-half pairing of Philippe Mexes, Diego Gardin. And at left-back, Christian Kivu. A midfield three, anchored by Thiago Motta, powered by Pavel Nedved, with a sprinkling of Paul Skulls in there for good measure. Skulls of Manchester, no less. Up front, eternal goal-scoring legend Raul, despite none of us being able to remember any of the goals he scored. The perennially offside Filippo Inzaghi and the cross-sectional class Jan Huntelaar. What a team! Anyway, thank you so much both. I think we, we've tapped into English insularity. We've tapped into the consumption of European football throughout the 90s and the 2000s. And just the general starry-eyed, sanitised, Euro-speak world that is the Champions League. Pint of Gazprom for me, please. It's been a pleasure. Athletic.